Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, explorers. Welcome to The Final Frontier. I'm your host, Caitlin Cornell, and I am joined today by the lovely, fantastic Kevin Grazier. Um, he, is a planetary... <laughs> he is a planetary physicist um, for, with degrees from UCLA, Purdue, and Oakland University. He's known for his work for 15 years yeah. on the Cassini Project. Um, and he is an expert in computational methods of planetary dynamics that performs large-scale, long-term simulations of early solar system evolution, dynamics, and chaos. Um, he is also a published author of the Holly Weird series, which I highly recommend. Um, thank you for joining us, Kevin. Thank you. Um, we have some business, some little business to get to today before we dive into our first episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, aptly titled... Strange New Worlds. Um, we have to acknowledge the fact that we lost a key titan of the show. Uh, Nichelle Nichols passed away this morning of natural causes. Her daughter just uh, posted on Instagram a lovely tribute to her mother. So uh, did you watch the original Star Trek, Kevin? You know, I did. And not only that, I think there are a lot of people who are working scientists today who will list Star Trek as their, uh, to use a screenwriting term, their inciting incident for their science. <laughs> so I'm a screenwriter, um, so I love that inciting incident. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I, of course I did. And um, and jumping ahead a little bit, I, I love the way Cadet Uhura is is portrayed in Strange New Worlds. They do, they, they yes. do her, a, a, I think they do her justice. They do her honor to, with the way they're treating that character. Yeah, and I love that it's when Nichelle played the character in TOS, uh, she had a, a, a very, she was, she moved from grace and confidence. And it's nice to see her as a cadet be a little bit unsure, um, at, more unsure than the rest of the Enterprise. So it's nice to see her move from a cadet knowing where she's going to end up because she goes some high places later in the show. So it's really nice yeah. to see that. So they, they built in some character growth there. Because, yeah, I mean, she doesn't even know if she wants to be there. Yeah, and that's a huge part of this. Um, it's more in episode two, but the, they do mention it, I believe, in episode one. Um, but it's nice to it's nice to see her. Um, and I believe she really liked the show. I really like. I believe she liked how she was portrayed. Um, but she will be missed. Um, she was big, big in the convention scene. She loved meeting the fans. Um, I personally never got to meet her, so I, uh, am a little bit sad about that, but I, I remember seeing her a lot. So I all did, my best I, her so, family. I did meet her. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, no, you're good. Apologies. 
Um, I had met her ever so briefly at a creation convention once. Oh, what was she like? Um, kind of busy and rushed as, <laughs> as the guests at creation conventions were want to be. Yeah. But um, no, it was it was a high buy kind of thing. But I mean, I can say I did meet her. Yeah. I mean, she, she, I mean, she was attempting to be gracious, but she was clearly being kind of moved around quickly. Pulled and, in all yeah. sorts of directions. Right. So, um, like I said, she was she was trying to be gracious while under under you know a lot of uh, chaos. An immense amount of strain. Um, right. But. Nichelle is a uh, is a titan of that series. Um, Lieutenant Uhura is a titan of a character. She was ahead of her time, and she will be missed. Um, and now, sadness over, we're going to dive into Strange New Worlds. Spoilers ahead. So if you have not seen the episode and do not want spoilers, turn back now, all you who enter here. <laughs> um, so this episode um, kind of takes place a couple of months after Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is over. Um, when one of Pike's officers, uh, number one, uh, goes missing on a secret mission for Starfleet, Pike has to come out of his self-imposed exile. He must now, uh, navigate how to rescue his officer while struggling to, with what to do with the vision of the future he's been given. And the navigation of that rescue is the fact that the planet that they are rescuing her from has not had first contact, uh, with Starfleet or with any other alien uh, entity. So uh, it violates the prime directive, which at this point in the show is called general order one, which is you cannot reveal uh, that there is life outside um, of your own. So you have to wait for a planet to develop warp capability and start exploring on their own uh, before you can initiate first contact. Is first contact really a thing that we talk that it that has been talked about in the, in the actual exploration world, or have we not gotten there yet? You know, there's sort of a feedback loop between science and science fiction and first contact. Um, I I know there's a book called First Contact. Yeah. Um, but I um, I'm not sure that Star Trek and I, maybe I should, but I'm not sure Star Trek. In fact, I will look it up after this, but didn't originate <laughs> the term. There was yeah. a um, you know there was a, obviously the film, which was one of their their better forays. It was the the first contact with the, with the Borg and yes, the, the first uh, appearance of Enterprise E. Hmm. Just to establish my nerd cred here. Um, yeah, this is the place to establish nerd cred. Oh, good. I'm in the right place. No, but <laughs> yeah, um, you are. This is a safe place. This is a safe space. <laughs> you know, so we established that they used first contact there, and I, and so if nothing else, that was the, probably the highest profile usage of the, of the word. Okay. But um, but certainly from that point forward, it was it was um, it, it was a, a big thing in um in Star Trek. Mm -hmm. the, the verbiage and in fact uh, if you watch lower decks um the Love cerritos, decks. The cerritos is, is job is second contact second contact i yeah. love i god if you haven't watched lower decks uh explorers you should watch it because it's incredible um and it's it's a great token of star trek being able to make fun of itself in a way that a lot of sci-fi properties don't uh i feel like sci-fi is either takes itself very seriously or it heads into a you know a comedy you know, office drama sort of thing. Um, I feel like the only other kind of, the one that toes the line the most is the Orville, which is, it's kind of a little bit of both, which is really nice. Mm. Um, this episode, just to do the story part of the episode, before we get into the science, um, this reminds me of Menagerie parts one and two in TOS. If anyone wants a reference point, 
um, because that is the episode where we get Kirk revisiting Pike after he's had that paralyzing injury that leaves him disfigured and in the uh, the life support chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the history of Pike, because Pike was the original captain of the Enterprise. He did he did do a pilot. It's called the Cage, and um, they changed it last minute and uh, built Kirk, and that is the show we know today. Well. I'm I'm going to nerd out and say, well, actually. Oh, I um, love well, actually. Give it to well, me. Well, actually, <laughs> Robert April was the original captain of the Enterprise. That's true. Who, who is in you know who we've seen in Strange New Worlds and who I understand is going to be more prominently featured in season two. He so is. I'm really April, excited about that. Like Van Kirk. Yeah. Yay! Thank you. Thank you for reestablishing. I I I didn't forget about April because he's in. He was. He's the one who gets Pike and yeah. basically makes him come back. Right. Um, which is funny that he resorts to, you know, coming on a coming on a ship and scaring his horse and going like, why didn't you call me back? Because I felt like it's like it's like, why didn't you text me back? <laughs> it's yeah. like because I don't want to talk to you. It's the definition of ghosting. It's like Starfleet ghosting. It is. <laughs> um, which I can tell you sucks. Um, and then I really like the given the state of the world that we're at today, what Star Trek is really good at, at its core. And I think what people liked about this episode and it got us off on a really good foot is what Star Trek, the original series and Star Trek next generation did really well is take our, what, what the state of our world is right now and put it in context of a more like radically optimistic world. Um, It's really easy, especially with the state of our world right now. Um, and in the 60s and in the 70s and 80s, like seeing the negative of everything. We get the 24-hour news cycle where everything is breaking news and everything on the lower third graphic is terrifying. But there's something about, you know, going them going to the planet and then Spock goes, yes, I know about both of your sec- both of your civil wars. Like that something has already happened in our world that might timeline up with, you know, right now. Right. And it's a good way to co- commentate on where we are and push a choose radical empathy mindset because we d- obviously didn't if we had a second c- civil war. So I think it was a good way to establish what happened on Earth um, and expand upon that universe, which they don't really do a lot because we stay a lot in space. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I love having Pike experience moments of doubt which started on discovery, but it's, it starts this kind of, he's not a perfect captain all the time. I Um, like that too, that he wasn't, he didn't see that flash forward to his future and say, ah, I can handle that. No, he's freaked the heck out. Out. And it's, and it's not that by the end of the episode, when Una Chin Riley comes back, it's the, he's only able to really tell it to her. It's like, he's not really scared for him. He's afraid for the kids. Mm-hmm. For the people he's going to and like where he's going to end up and like, it's hard to realize your future is not what you think it's going to be because I think as humans, especially, I mean, I'm biased. I don't I don't have any other thing to go on. I'm not a Vulcan. Um, we kind of think we're a little invincible. And it's nice when science fiction, you know, yes, we're not alone, but we're also not invincible. And the more I, I think maybe you can speak a little bit of, you know, working on Cassini and and going into the the outer outer limits as it were outer depths of space um but it's like the more you open yourself up the more danger can occur to you 
You know, I, and I and something I want kind of I want to loop back a little bit to something you loop mentioned it. in Menagerie, um, uh, and, and watching the original Star Trek. Um, there was in, in Discovery season two. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the episode was called "If Memory Serves." Yes. Um, the when we start the episode, you know, you're used to previously on Star Trek Discovery. When they came on, and the first thing you see is previously on Star Trek, a a previously on 53 years in the making, um, I instantly turned into a 12-year-old. I did too. I was like, I was like, I called my mom and I was just like, you need to watch the show. <laughs> like, this is exactly I got into Star Trek because my mom and I used to watch it. And I think it was on like USA or TV Land or something. But we used to watch it every day, every night before we went to sleep. Yeah. But it was like I remembered the previously on, and I was just like, it's all it's all Pike. And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, no, I I was I watched that previously on probably more than I want to admit. Um something else harkening back to, to what you were talking about earlier is you know, science fiction in, in one respect can be can be split into two types of science fiction. We have what are called Vernian science fiction right. and Wellsian science fiction. Now, Vernian right. science fiction. Um, are, is where technology is front and center. Um, like gravity would be um, a, a good example of that, where it's, it's technology, the expanse. Um, what's another? Eureka. I worked on Eureka. I was an advisor on Eureka, where science oh, is cool. Yeah, another, another one. Um, science is front and center every week. There's a, there's a different guest star science every week. Whereas, you know, because Verne, Jules Verne, wrote the techno thrillers of his day. With Wellsian science fiction, H.G. Wells used science fiction as social commentary. So War of the Worlds was a, a common a, a comment on British colonialism, the time mm -hmm. on British class structure. I mean, he he wove a commentary into a science fiction and he realized very early on that you can approach people um, on topics they might normally be defensive in a science fiction way and they might be able to hear you better. In fact, um, Rod Serling, years later, who's the creator of the original Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Once, yeah, he once said that I can have Martians say things that I could never have a Republican or a Democrat say. Oh, so I wonder if that's why they give Spock in original series or Data later. A and lot of the kind later of... on. And so yeah, yeah. All, there are, are aliens who exist to, you know, to provide commentary on the state of humanity. Oh, I love it. So this is really weird then because not weird because, you know, you have Picard and you have, and maybe it's not weird because it's the leader, but when Pike beams down to the planet and gives that speech about like, this is where your future is headed because we already did it. Like that's a commentary to an, it, it, from a humanoid to an alien race. And it's it's a commentary from the the writers producers to us here in the here and the now yeah and in the science fiction setting, um, so maybe you'll listen maybe you've written it off as preachy whatever I mean again I worked on Battlestar Galactica that was also Wellsian we we had something we wanted to to, to talk about um, in that case it was the war on terror and the war in Iraq yeah um, as as an underpinning but but Star Trek has always excelled at this they've always used their show to talk about the here and the now in yeah. a setting that's less um, confrontational, maybe a little easier for people to hear. Would you consider, because you also were the science consultant on gravity. I was. 
Um, yeah, I forgot to put that in the bio. Sorry about that. It's like, here's all of your, you have such a big long list of amazing crap that I can't talk about. Cause it's like, it's just, then, then that would be 30 minutes. And that would be the episode. Um, but would you consider gravity Wellesian or Vern or Jules Vern because yeah. of, because how science forward it is, even though it's, it's, you know, commentary on her inner life of her being kind of like unwilling to connect with anybody. It is. I mean, and that's, that could be part of, of but that's like the background. That's not the foreground. That's like, and, the and, it gets, and it gets you rooting for her and that's fine. Um, but also in, in that case, the laws of physics are both a, an ally and an antagonist in that film. How so? Well, the laws of physics are, are, you know, orbital dynamics are, you know, there's some violations over dynamics, but, but you have the, the debris keep coming back to the same spot again and again, every 90 minutes, you have um, the physics of, um, you know, everything from fire extinguishers to fire in space to, you know, all these things working against our, our, our people, but that, an understanding of, you know, of Newton's third laws are, are yeah. and, and other, other basic physics are, are what get us out of this situation. Right. Uh, I want to say something, one other thing that I'll mention about gravity since we're on a side point. We're on it. Okay. There's one other thing that few people seem to know about this, so I thought I would share. There is a companion film to Gravity. It's seven minutes long. It's an official Warner Brothers production, and it is written and directed by Jonas Cuaron, who co-wrote Gravity with gravity. his Gravity. Yeah, who co-wrote, yeah. So um, it's on YouTube. It oh, is my called, God. It is called Anagok. A-N-I-N-G-A-A-Q. And so many people don't seem to know about this. And when you start, initially all you will see is snow and ice and white as far as the eye can see. And you have a hard time understanding or believing that this is related to gravity. But when you get it, you get it. It's awesome. Really, it's really cool. So I thought I'd share that simply because I find yeah. so many people have ever seen this film. And it's worth, it's a neat, you know, sort of side story. And again, it's only seven minutes long. Nice. So, so if, now let's go back to Star Trek. I'm sorry, I, I got us No, off. no, no, that's great. And uh, for everyone who's watching on YouTube or watches later on YouTube um, or follows uh, Final Frontier Pod on Instagram and uh, Twitter, I'll put the link to that film up so you guys can have a, a, a quick, easy access to it. So, um, and then I also want to do the Your Holly Weird book series because I ordered them and I'm very excited to read them. <laughs> um, and uh, we actually missed each other at Comic-Con because you had the Holly Weird um, panel, which I was- We did, which went sad. exceptionally well. I should I'm so out. happy for you guys. I'm so excited. Um, do you know when the next book is coming out? Uh, we're working on it right now. And Perfect. trying oh, to get out the as possible. In fact, as much as we're writing, um, my, my co-author, Jessica Kale, um, as much as Jess and I are writing right now, um, it might be three and four. Awesome. I'm so excited so, for that. Yeah, um, I am too, because I really, I, I, I've wasted too much time on the current chapter. My editor looked, took one look at it and said, this is way too long. You need to split this. So now the first half's done. I'm, working, I'm trying to get the second one out the door this week. Yeah, that's what you do when a chapter's too long. You just put it in two chapters. You're like, done, fixed. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, in this case, it was a more logical choice than just, than just cutting out a bunch because it, it still kind of works. So. I love that, you know, Star Trek is all about making the logical choice. Yeah, unless you're I, unless you're later in the season and then you know we're going to talk about that later in the season um let's talk about the science questions absolutely yay Maybe. i'm it's interesting because when i first talked to you um we both had kind of similar questions so i'm really excited to hear the answers there's a um when they're trying to figure out how to um 
get to the planet and get to Unich and Riley and get around General Order One. Um, Spock has a monologue that I had to rewind probably like four or five times because like, I love this stuff. I'm steeped in like Star Wars and Star Trek and science fiction. And I had to be like, wait, what? <laughs> so he has a monologue of explaining warp drive because from the end of Star Trek season, uh, it's Discovery season two, that big space battle, there was a lot of warp signatures in the air and the right. nearby planet picked up on those warp signatures and rejiggered them to be a bomb and not a drive. And he basically said that Warp has never been invented as anything other than a drive. So right. this is basically implying that this is really odd. So right. what is warp drive? And did original Star Trek kind of know about it? Because we've, how long has warp drive as a concept or as an actuality been a thing? Is I, I think my first question to you. And I then we'll get to the others. We'll get to the monologue. That, I think to answer that, we need to go way back to Albert Einstein. Um, I'm in. Let's go. Special and general relativity. And general relativity uh, essentially uh, involves, for the most part, gravity. Um, I know there's people, people who say, well, actually. But let's just, just go with that. So um, one of the things that general relativity, uh, one, of the, one of the implications was that there is a fabric to space. We call it space-time. That mm -hmm. space can be bent. It can be warped. It be, can, can be compressed. And um, some eclipse observations um, done really quite sh pretty shortly after um, Einstein's paper came out pretty much confirmed this, that, that closer to a source of gravity, there is the fabric of space is bent or compressed or mm -hmm. warped. Okay, so so that's that they, they the 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 reason why it's called warp is it's literally like it's I don't know, I'm taking notes compressed. sorry but it's like it's literally warping it this way. Sort of. Now, I, I, there have been different types of drives. I mean, it depends on how much you want to go into who's done what in science fiction history, but um, different types of drives that, that utilize this idea. Um, yeah. And around the time of the original Star Trek, um, 1966, that's the year Dune came out. And we had the highliners of Dune, the folding of space that the guild navigators were able to do with the spice. And, um, the way I envisioned that, they talk about folding space. Um, the way it was actually listed in our Bible for BSG for Battlestar Galactica was that you have a piece of paper, and as mm -hmm. you know, and if you bend it, if you have point A and point B, point A and point B, Got you it. fold it so if these two are closest together, and then you just move a little bit, and and then you're 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 there. Then you're um, there. I'm not. Uh, Is that similar to what they did in like Interstellar and how uh, in Thor: Love and Thunder they described the Einstein Rosen Bridge? Uh, that's a more of a wormhole. Wormhole. So that's, that's and Str and Stranger Things. They they do the piece of paper thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so we go off on on how many people have done wormholes, Stargate. But um, but so yeah, the warp is the it's the. The, the bending or folding or compressing of space. Now, okay. in Star Trek situation with the warp drive, I don't know how much um, Gene Roddenberry had had looked into this. I mean, at one point in time, I probably I read all the books. If anyone from the Roddenberry family listens, I'd really like the answer to this question. Please come on my podcast. There you go. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, when I was a kid, I read all the books. It's just, uh, it's been a while. So yeah. I probably could have answered that at some point in time, but- We'll find out later on a future no episode. Anyway, so um, so this was known that you could that space had a fabric; it could be folded and compressed. Mm -hmm. And Dune had been released as a series of short stories 
in advance of being a novel. So, so that was out there in, in the world. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, but where I see um, warp drive being different is that you're just compressing space locally in a small area in front of the ship. Okay. Um, it's, it's being, there's a rarefaction, a lengthening behind it. And this, you're moving through a compressed region of space, a locally compressed region of space. And Hyperspace? No, that's, that's, that's sort totally of another different. thing. There's a, there's a whole other realm of, of potential faster than light travels where you enter another realm, travel at, at, at a high speed and drop back in. That's more like hyperspace from Star Wars or even subspace in Star Trek. We learned um, this past season, I think it was in Strange New Worlds, that um, the travel through hyperspace is is 52,000 C. Yes. Yes. So it's it's almost immediate. When it, except when it's not, and um, except when convenient, <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> I said it as the screenwriter, Deus ex space enough. <laughs> so, um, compress the region. Okay, and, and another important point is that uh, I think, and I think this often gets overlooked. Velocity mm -hmm. is a concept that is only valid locally. You're traveling relative to something nearby. Because okay. when you're talking about distance, something very distant, space can fold and bend and stretch in between there. So, so since the universe is expanding um, and there's no constraint on that expansion, we see things very distantly that appear to be moving away faster than the speed of light, but they're not violating relativity. They're not actually traveling faster than the speed of light. It's because the, locally they're going with you know, less than the speed of light. But since the fabric of space is, is stretching, they appear to be moving faster than light. So in this local warp bubble, you have a compression of space ahead of the spacecraft. You're moving less than light through a compressed region of space, which makes it functionally faster than light. And then when you turn off the warp drive, you, you know, the, the space goes back to normal and then you're on impulse. And you have arrived. And you have, hopefully... Hopefully arrived. Always where you want to be. I mean, hope you arrive where you where you intended. Now, wow. Okay, so is that's that, why is, I have a lot more. I have a lot of respect now for Ortegas and um, Sulu and all the people who have to navigate a constantly expanding and, world. And uh, asterisk on that, or or an epilogue to that, is there was a a physicist from Mexico City um, named Dr. Alcubier, and he has actually found. Uh, permitted solutions to general relativity that would enable Star Trek style warp drive. Now within the warp trouble, it's fantastically hot. There's no, no, no material, no material could survive within that. But the physicist would say, well, now it's just an engineering problem. Mm. Um, still. So it's been shown that theoretically warp drive could actually be made. Be a thing. There's just some, some major complications that need to be solved. So and and that's that's the way his equations look: a, a compression of space ahead of your craft. I'm not sure how that would be achieved, and then a rarefaction behind it. So when Spock says, um, and Spock is my favorite character, so I will be talking about him a lot this season. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, when Spock says warp can't be hasn't been created as anything other than a drive, he doesn't says it can't be, but it just simply hasn't been. It's because it's about travel and not about explosivity. Because for me, I think like, oh, warp is the thing that powers the engine because it's the warp engine. 
So like, right. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I misunderstood it all these years and I feel like I've been lied to, <laughs> but is it, is it because it's about traveling distance or traveling through something as opposed to being powered through something as like an engine would? Well, there's two parts. There's creating the warp field. We've okay. heard that term warp field before. Warp. Yes. And in fact, there was an episode of Next Generation that was even, they create a local warp bubble that Dr. Crusher has, to, she has to escape from that. I love Dr. Crusher. And so there's the warp part, the the, the compression of space-time, and then mm -hmm. there's the physical moving through that. So there, it's, you know, it's warp and drive. Right. Which is what Scotty does. Right. It's and I, I'm getting so much more of an appreciation for how all of the pieces have to work together now, and how what all of the characters have to do. Um, there's a game called Artemis where it's you basically are a Star Trek ship, and one person is the captain, and each person gets assigned like a position on the ship, and then you know the captain kind of guides you through this you know world, um, but you have to all work together as a team. So I'm getting a lot more appreciation. So we've had warp drive explained we know that theoretically it was a thing when star trek was involved so they didn't quite invent it but it was there um it's well, a, okay we're back to that that sort of feedback between science and science fiction sometimes science right. fiction proposes something and scientists or engineers go looking for it and sometimes they find it right i mean we know that a, a one noteworthy example is the original flip phone um the the original the, the inventors of that that qualcomm came right out and said, our goal was to recreate the Star Trek communicator. Oh, see, I've been saying that for years and I never had confirmation that that was it. And everyone's like, no, there was like radio. And I'm like, no, but the flippy thing. <laughs> no, but the flip. No, nope, um, that was, you, that's now, now that you know to look for Qualcomm, it's a quick Google search. I know Qualcomm. It's also going to give you in the little doobie doo under the thing. Um, how then is it possible that using the warp signatures that they created a bomb instead of a drive is it just because they were looking at energy is that like i just theoretically how would that be possible because even spock was a little bit not perturbed by it because i don't think vulcans can be perturbed but like half vulcans maybe but like <laughs> he was a little bit like this is odd this is a really weird thing well i think there's two parts there there's there's we've measured something we now have to figure out what this is. In other words, so they measured the act of discovery being flung far into the future. Is what yes. they that left signature. There were there's a lot of ships uh, in one spot. There's a they opened a, a Einstein Rosen bridge, if you probably or, or some kind of wormhole, a path to the future. Um, there was distortions from that. There's distortions from the warp engines. They measured it and they were able to figure out with their physics at the time what was going on. They were able to figure out warp drive because they had help and then they just chose to turn it into a bomb i mean okay. i see that as sort of a parallel as as far as like a nuclear propulsion mm -hmm. um you know you can you have uranium or nuclear power versus nuclear weapons you have uranium that isn't bomb grade in civilian reactors but you have you know if you if you process out or or enrich with the with one certain isotope of uranium, you can get something that, you know, that goes boom. I mm -hmm. think that was sort of the parallel they were using, and I and I really, I mean, I can I can guess 
Yeah. I'm not this is all theoretical, out. having not, you know, talked to their science consultant or. Actually, know. I did. I saw I saw her at our, at, she was on our panel at a dragon at, uh, sorry, at Comic-Con. Aaron was yeah. on our panel. And I just didn't ask because we were kind of strapped for time getting ready for our panel. But Oh, um, yeah. And you didn't know that you were going to be on a podcast where you would have to talk about this immediately. And there's that. So, no, I I, I didn't. But, um, uh, and, and I don't know, you know, you don't always take time to think things through when you're the science advisor. She's working on five shows, five or six. But yeah. I, so Aaron's busy. I don't know if she thought it through. There's things that I didn't think through on like on shows that worked until like years later. Oh, I know oh, how that works, you know, and oh, you, and, you know, it, it, you either wake up when you're falling asleep, oh, I get it. Or, you know, when you're in the morning, you're kind of half asleep. Oh, oh, it's clear now. So anyway, um, so I don't so know. Do they call you with a question when you're a science consultant or do they hand you a script and be like, is this right? Yes. Both. Okay, great. Um, yeah, you know, it, it depends on the show. I mean, and and just as my experience with, I mean, I was working on Battlestar and Eureka at the same time, mm -hmm. and the job was science advisor on both shows, and they were very different experiences. Oh, wow. Battlestar science advisor was pretty much describing the background because the show wasn't about science, or at least it was very rarely. Very rarely was science a main player in, in the plots, whereas Eureka is a main player every week. So it's a different dynamic with the writers. It's a different, it's a different situation. And the same thing is true with, with Aaron on Star Trek. She, um, she has all these shows and she has a different role on all the shows. She's much more involved as right. far as the educational component on Prodigy than, you know, and that has really no place on say Strange New Worlds. She's right. just involved in telling the story in a plausible way. And um, for Hollywood science also, I was, um, I should, Another component of the Star Trek job, I was interviewing Narain Shankar, who um, he got his start in the industry as a science advisor on season six of Next Generation. Yeah. And and then he became a writer. And then now he's, you know, he's showrunner for The Expanse and CSI and, and other things. But um, Narain, when I was interviewing him, we were talking about being a science advisor on Star Trek. And he said... Science advisor on Star Trek is not about fidelity to the physics of this universe. It's about the consistency of made up stuff. Oh, so, okay. So that actually makes sense a lot with world building, because as long as you remain consistent, people believe it. If you start changing the rules, which has happened in other sci-fi properties, I will not name them right now. But when you start being inconsistent with your world building, it's more of an opportunity for people to say, but wait, didn't it? Is it bit what are midichlorians? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and in, in Hollywood science, we call that an oh, please moment. But the video game industry calls it an immersion break, which I, I love that term. It's immersion that break. Right. And that's where you go, hang on, wait. And, and to that end, it's generally, generally more important to be faithful to the laws of your universe than the laws of this universe. I mean, okay. Star, Wars, Star Wars shows that. You mentioned midichlorians. You know, that was an attempt to sort of make it sort of scientifically plausible that yeah. I think we were all happier just making it something that's mystic and, and unknowable. I don't really care about the science behind it. And I don't... You know. Yeah, and but I, what was amazing was in Mandalorian season two when they wrote in the midichlorians, and I know we're going off Star Trek, sorry guys, yeah. but it's the... Then it made sense. They like they almost like fixed it in a way where it's like they call, they talked about the M count of uh, baby Grogu, the baby Yodes forever. 
Um, and that kind of, and it like almost like the more these properties keep going, the more they see the holes in their own world building and then they kind of bulk them up and fix them. Whereas Obi-Wan I don't. Obi-Wan fixed a lot, by the way. I thought Obi-Wan fixed a lot, but. Um, I need so to talk I, to you about that show then because I had, so, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> one too, you know, um, going off, off the episode we're talking about in the, in the final moments of Strange New World, the, 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 the last episode, mm-hmm. you know, there was. Spock had a couple lines where we now get why he was willing to put his career and his life on the line for Pike all those years ago in Menagerie. They wrote that in to say, this is what motivated Spock. Okay, yes. So we know, and that was brilliant, I thought. Yeah. But, um, and it goes back to fixing something that everyone had a question on. I yeah. mean, this is something that wasn't a plot hole. It's just like, I don't know how this, how that works. Well, now we know. Which how. Star Trek is good at. Like, it's good at, like, you don't know that Kirk has a brother until he has one. And right. now we get a whole season of, of Sam. And, and you know, well, no, you do. He, Sam was in, Sam appeared in the original series. He's an operation. He did, Ireland. but it wasn't like, you know, oh, he, they didn't talk about it before he appeared. It wasn't like, oh, I have a brother. It was right. like the episode he was appearing. It's like, oh yeah, that's my brother, you know. Or, or I think he was interviewed about it. It's like, you have a brother named Sam, Samuel, you call him Sam, but you're the only one or something like that. And he, it was William Shatner wearing a cheesy mustache. So I'm glad they kept the cheesy mustache. And I will accept that any day of the week. William Shatner being in a cheesy mustache, being in a cheesy suit, being in a cheesy anything. I will, I give it to me. Well, that was an I Operation Annihilate. They just rolled him over and he was dead, Jim. So yep. um, it's know. worse than that. Well, he's dead, Jim. Um, and and so back to the the warp bomb um, yes (laughs) sorry we go off on tangents you know i could think of ways in which that could be you know uh is it a kinetic energy weapon i mean you could accelerate Mm -hmm. something to extremely high speeds sort of like they did in star wars they they accelerated they went to into hyperspace and went through uh the bad guy's ship and blew it up right so which then begs the question why aren't we seeing more hyper um hyper yeah. so they turned their ship air. into a torpedo yeah would you say yes so that could be something that you know even if you shot fired something at a close range and then and at warp and then hit something you're going to release a lot of energy i don't i don't know um uh maybe there's an energy release when when if you compress space if it if it involves you know mass if there's mass in that compression and then let it go you know, who knows how fast it comes out of that. Again, you know, there's there's some things but we, we don't know. And, you know, really, we don't have to know. No. You know, I mean, I mean, those of us who are, are nerding out over it say, hmm, how does that work? And the answer is, I can think of a few ideas. They're, I don't know what they were thinking. And I don't know if they're even thinking that it needs to be explained. You know, you mentioned about being a science advisor. Sometimes, in fact, more often than, than not, you do your job when you say, Please don't say this. No, really, really. Please don't say. Don't say it. Please don't say something else, or just omit this description. Be, you know. So, so you know. Do, do we have to explain it? No. no. And maybe it, it's better, especially given the world, the story that they were telling, and the message that they were conveying. It's better to not know how it will be a bomb, because I think the beauty and danger of science fiction is it lives in the it might be possible. Right. Where it's the, you know, we live in the maybe of like, you know, we could do it, but should we do it? And that's, you know, a big theme of science fiction is the we can, 
travel to space. We can travel to other worlds. We can build it. But should we do it? My, my current co-author on Hollywood Science, uh, Jessica Kale, she has a word that I love. She says, it has to be plausible-ish. I love that. Yeah, I do too. Oh, I can't wait to I can't wait to have her on the show because there's a lot of questions on that I think she she can answer. You know, it would be nice to have like a crusher and a a, a real life like crusher on my show. Um, but is there any other science things um, that you caught in the episode that you want to talk about? Because that, the, my warp drive questions have been answered, and I now feel confident. If I rewatch that episode, I will be, I will be with Spock. I will understand. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's science things. I mean, we, we you, you generally don't get a ton of sciencey things. You know, you you, don't, you just need a few a few plausible things to drive the plot. Um, there was one thing that I did like. I did like that um, how in in the final episode of season two of Discovery, we have a problem, we have a solution, and it's the only it's what we know how how we know how to fix this problem in the time that we have. And oh, by the way, we don't have very much time. So they right. solved the problem they had in the moment. And now there's consequences. Okay. Yeah. Did we realize it? No. Mm-mm. Is it too bad? Yes. Now we got to fix it. And right. I, I like that. There's just kind of the matter of fact that attitude is like, crap. <laughs> so. And it's, and it's, it's not a, it's not a continuation of discovery, but it's a, you know, our actions, any, in any universe have consequences. And I like that they didn't start with a, you know, it's it, there's a consequence of knowing your fate. There's a consequence of breaching first contact. There's a consequence of you know lighting up the sky with five million ships, um, and it ripples. There's a ripple effect, kind of like you know if space is ever expanding, so are the ripples. So you know what are the ripple effects of this universe, and what is the ripple effect of this one ship? Because uh, on in the meta universe, the ripple effect of Star Trek is is pretty lasting and pretty it's pretty substantial. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. That's just one thing that struck me about it. I liked how they latched onto something that we saw and, oh yeah, by the way, there's unforeseen consequences to this action. You know, you're all, yay, yay, you know, yay, this is great. And again, they solved the problem they needed to solve and, and that was great, but now there's the cleanup. Right. And it wasn't pretty. No. And it rarely is, especially when, you know, you have Spock going like, Captain, it's unbearable. (laughs) The pain. (laughs) The pain is unbearable. (sighs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Do you have any place of like, you know, I'm on social media, but do you have any place where, you know, besides the Hollywood book series, which I will put again in the chat and again in the thing and again on my website at Final Frontier Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Is there any way we can find you and, and explore more of what you do and read more of your work? I'm on, well, on read more of my work. Um, I mean, I have other books out. You can find them on Amazon. Um, they're, they're mostly science of kind of things. Uh, I am mm-hmm. working on a screenplay right now. Um, I, I have a pilot. Congrats. Oh, thank you. I have a pilot. I, I sold a pilot in the past. Don't know where that is. Um, so uh, It's in the ether. It, it, you know, you'd be surprised how true that is. Uh, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I am a screenwriter. <laughs> oh, well. So, um, and so, yeah, I, I've got things. I'm also working on a novel with a, with a friend. I'm so I got a lot of things I'm juggling right now. Um, Please let so, us know, and I will. I will. We will blast them out to the universe. So I'm, I'm, I'm on social media. I'm I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm I'm on Twitter a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, LinkedIn. You know, most of my time is on on Facebook and LinkedIn. But 
okay. occasionally if I'm writing, I'll go uh, radio silent for a week or two on at an end. So good. I mean, I, I wish I could go longer than a week or two. I would go forever if I could. Um, I would do really good on deep space nine. Just like put me in a hole and like, leave me alone. Um, but thank you for joining us today for my, for the first ever final frontier podcast. Um, I learned a lot and I'm just really excited that I get to learn more. And, uh, you, the way you explain things is really, really helpful. So thank you very, very much. Um, yeah. Listeners, if you want to continue following the podcast, uh, at final frontier pod, um, the next episode will be in two weeks and we will be doing star Trek strange new worlds episode two. So live long and prosper everybody. See you later. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.